Well, hey, everyone, good to have you joining us uh, wherever you are. As you saw, in just three weeks, we are going to launch our 12th location in Maplewood, Minnesota. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but Steve Duty, who has been on staff for 20 years as a worship pastor, felt called by God to set down his guitar, at least for a time, and become the campus pastor of Maplewood. And we are so excited about that. We can celebrate that. And, and if you don't know Steve, uh, just know that I just already so admire and love his heart for that community already. So we do a couple things for us first. Will you pray for Steve and that team and that campus launch? And second, will you invite someone, as Jason challenged us to do, invite someone to join you who lives nearby. We just can't wait to see what God is going to do. Well, this week, we're kicking off a brand new series called Attacking Anxiety. According to the CDC, 50% of people will experience mental health issues at some point in their lives. The highest percentage of those people will specifically deal with anxiety. Now, if the statistics are correct, that means almost everyone here has dealt with anxiety personally or has a close friend or family member who struggles. A couple things about this title. First of all, this title was inspired by a fantastic book that I've read twice now called Attacking Anxiety by Pastor Sean Johnson, which we have available in our bookstore. Sean is the senior pastor of Red Rocks Church in Colorado, and he shares openly about his own battle with anxiety and panic attacks and how he's overcome those things. Second, this message series also comes from my own journey. I've been speaking here for almost a decade, and I've, been, I've mentioned more than a few times my struggle with anxiety. But today, right now, I speak from a place of victory. Not perfection, mind you, but from a place of strength and power. I wouldn't describe myself as an anxious person any longer. Now, I say all that out of humility, but also to inspire you right out of the gate and let you know God can help you win this battle with anxiety. Just like he's helped me, just like he's helped Sean through practical tools and spiritual weapons given to us by Jesus, the power of God's word and the gift of his Holy Spirit, we can overcome, attack, and defeat anxiety. Now, it's not gonna be easy. It's not, but it is possible. Third, notice the word Attacking, to attack, of course, is to be aggressive. It's to go on the offensive. It's to take down the defense and go after whatever holds us back. But too often, we actually end up attacked by anxiety ourselves, and then we lose any kind of motivation and hope. And so we start to wonder, do we have what it takes to muster up the energy to fight back, to attack back against anxiety and defeat this difficult opponent. You know, pickleball appears to be all the rage right now for some reason. What used to be a sport for retired Floridians wearing high socks, white shorts, and visors, just how I picture them now. Apparently, it's become the sport of choice for even the cool kids, not me, okay? But on our staff, we have a bunch of Gen Zers who are obsessed with pickleball. Many of them have even bought their own paddles, and they play a couple times a week. And so our creative director, Ben Wilson, who oversees a lot of these Gen Z staff members, will frequently ask me to play. It's really kind of him. Even more kind, considering I typically respond with excuses like, well, I recently sprained my pinky recently, so I just 
I'm just getting over a cold a couple months ago. And um, just like sometimes the no, I, I don't actually feel like playing. But I have played twice. And one of those times was against our senior pastor, Pastor Jason Strand, while we were visiting another church. No, you're not going to hear a story about it. Okay, I don't want to talk about it because I didn't win. Okay, so you're just not going to hear about it. But the thing is, I still really don't get the sport. However, after watching some YouTube videos that explain the rules, because you can do that, even some games that were on ESPN, why were, was ESPN playing pickleball on TV? I don't know. They must be hurting. But here's what I learned. Here's what I learned about pickleball. In pickleball, after the ball is served and bounces once on both sides, you sit behind something called the kitchen and essentially dink this little plastic ball back and forth with your opponents. And it's bigger than ping pong, of course, and, and smaller than tennis. And then what happens is the best players will wait patiently for their opportunity to attack. And when that little plastic ball is just high enough over the net and not in the kitchen, they'll hammer the ball towards their opponent. The best players know when it's the right time to attack because no one ever actually wins by dinking this ball back and forth, by playing cautiously or defensively. And the same is true with other sports. I mean, every coach will tell you, don't play defensively. Don't sit back on your heels. Don't play passively. Instead, coaches want players to play with confidence to play aggressively and look for opportunities to attack. And that's what we want to encourage and inspire in you. That's what we need to do when it comes to anxiety. In this series, we want to up the aggressiveness. We want to play offense and attack anxiety. Why? Because we have the power of God behind us. That's why Paul encouraged believers with these words in Romans. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer, our prayer for you is that God will fill you with hope and the power of the Holy Spirit to attack anxiety and make some progress in overcoming it. But before I get there, let me, let me again say that I empathize with those that feel like attacking something so painful, such as anxiety, it feels impossible. Because when you're someone who suffers from anxiety and even panic attacks, one of the first things that goes is hope. Many of us get to a point in our journey with this thing where we just settle and think, this is just the way it's gonna be. Now, we might be Christians, we might believe in the power of God. We may have had other areas of our lives transformed by the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to anxiety, some of us think this is just the way it's gonna be. It's just who I am. I'm an anxious person, and I understand that if anyone does. 21 years ago, I first sat in a counselor's office and said, I'm struggling with anxiety. I was a freshman in college, and these feelings were new to me. I just moved from the state of Washington to California to attend college and play baseball at this small school called Chapman University, and, and I had no friends, no family in the area, and I'd never done my own laundry before. So I found my way to a counselor's office and admitted, really for the first time, that anxiety was defeating me. 
And that was the beginning of a 21-year ongoing battle with anxiety. Now, to be clear, it was more than just a facilitating anxiety. The, the type I feel when I get up here to speak facilitating anxiety is actually a healthy anxiety we all feel when we do something that causes our nervous system to spike. I mean, when we're driving on a snow-packed road with kids in tow, when we're presenting in front of a group or playing sports, everybody is going to experience a form of facilitating anxiety and nerves that is normal and healthy. But see, mine had become a debilitating anxiety. There were days that I struggled to get out of bed, to get to my next class, to finish my homework or move on to the next activity because I felt stuck or paralyzed. Over the years, I've experienced debilitating anxiety where I felt panic creeping on the doorstep and I literally had to stop whatever it was I was doing. Times that my breathing has paced out of control. My brain is torpedoed and, and I've even passed out a handful of times essentially, I think, from, from panic. And so I know firsthand both facilitating and debilitating feelings of anxiety. What about you? What do you know about anxiety? How is your anxiety these days? Have you ever asked yourself why the anxiety seems worse on some days more than others? Author and pastor Kyle Eidelman unpacked three categories and reasons we often experience anxiety. The first, the unknown. I mean, it was just struggle with anxiety because of the what if question. What if I don't get married? What, what if my kid isn't healthy? What if I don't get the job that I want? Well, Jesus says, don't, don't worry about tomorrow for today holds enough trouble and yet we can't help but worry about tomorrow and the unknown. Or we experience anxiety over the unlikely. I mean, with a 24-hour news cycle orchestrated to incite fear and anxiety as much as possible, it's easy to get sucked into unlikely scenarios, even with all that's happening in the world, or we experience anxiety over things that are completely uncontrollable. However, if you're like me, we tend to think the more control we have, the more peace I'd feel. If we could just work a little harder, prepare a little more, if we had a little more money, a few more safety nets, then we'd find peace. But when peace eludes us, what happens? Well, we'll try anything and do whatever it takes to get rid of that anxiety. Maybe we fantasize that a change in jobs or a move to another city or even finding a new family could bring needed relief, or we find something, anything that numbs the anxiety at, at least for a while. Others like Scott Sossel, who wrote an article in The Atlantic, will try just about anything and everything. He writes, I quote, here's what I've tried, individual psychotherapy, three decades of it. Family therapy, group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive behavioral therapy, hypnosis, acupuncture, yoga, stoic philosophy, and audio tapes I ordered off a late night TV infomercial. And he continues, and medication. Lots of medication, Boost Bar, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Lexapro, Cymbalta, and he goes on and on. And then he writes also beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, and scotch. He's tried it all. And sure, some of these are helpful, certainly. Others, maybe not as much. But the point is, what happens when we try to find relief and the battle with anxiety still rages on? Well, 
maybe we start to feel like we're the only one who's dealing with, maybe that we're crazy, maybe we start to feel that our anxiety will never go away. What are we supposed to do then? Today, the title of this message is to know what's true. Now, next week in part two, we're going to talk about what to go and do. But before we go and do the things necessary to silence anxiety, first we need to know what's true. And by the way, there are many layers to this conversation. So this isn't all comprehensive. But if I've learned anything about mental health and anxiety over the years, it's that the battle often starts and ends right up here in our minds. And I saw this play out even just recently with our eight-year-old daughter, Marley. The other morning, Marley woke up earlier than, than normal, came down the stairs and, and said with tears in her eyes, Daddy, I, I was having a bad dream. I'm scared. And as she continued down the stairs, she was about to crawl into my lap so I could give her a bunch of cuddles until she saw mom out of the corner of her eye and then, then crawled right into hers. But you know... It was also a morning she woke up to a thunder and lightning storm. Now, interestingly, earlier that morning, around 4 a.m., both Emily and I woke up to loud crashes of thunder and heavy rain, and Emily said, I love thunderstorms, and then she opened the curtains. But Marley, again, eight-year-old brain, I get it, but just a few hours later said, I hate thunderstorms. They make me have bad dreams. Mom, can you drive me to school so that I don't get struck by lightning? Now, both realities felt very true to both Emily and Marley. Emily loves them, and Marley is afraid for her life. But both are experiencing the same thunderstorm, which is true. Well, obviously, we know the Vikings have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl than getting struck by lightning, so odds aren't great. <laughs> but what Marley feels, the point is what Marley feels, it, it feels very true to her. And the point is, overcoming anxiety may have some to do with our circumstances, and it certainly does. Our circumstances vary, and we're going to get to some of that next week. But this week, I want to talk about how it starts in our minds. Victory starts by knowing what's true. So let me give you three helpful ways that we can begin to attack anxiety in our minds. The first is we need to believe it's possible. See, to overcome anxiety, I found the first thing we have to believe is that we have to actually believe it's possible. So let me ask you, when you see or read verses like, with God, all things are possible, or a verse like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, do you believe them? Like, really? Or do you think, no, that was for a different time, different? No, see, what I want to do is to get you to even believe that it's possible to overcome anxiety with God's help and power and the practical tools he's provided us. So let me ask you, do you believe that it's possible? Now, my wife will often tell you that one of the reasons she loves me is because she knows I honestly believe that she can do anything. Now, although there are many reasons to love me, many reasons. <laughs> this, kidding. This one is absolutely true. 
Emily is one of the most stupidly gifted, naturally talented people I know. She can sing, speak, and write without much training in, in any of it. She's super strong. She's the one that's frequently opening the jars in our home that are hard to open. She can fix anything. She has the talent. She can hit a baseball. She can throw a spiral. She can shoot hoops. She can catch a deep ball fly pattern with the best of them. That's my favorite. Just go along, Emily, and she can catch it. But every time we watch a show that features strong, powerful women like Madam Secretary or The Crown or, or Grey's Anatomy, I, no, I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. It just happens to be on, okay? But uh, honest truth, I will instantly say, I've been doing this for years, Emily, you should be the president. Emily, it's not too late. You could be a doctor. Oh, you could be the queen. I mean, that would just be incredible. I honestly believe that anything is possible for Emily, but, but here's what I found, and maybe you agree with this. See, it's much easier to believe that things are possible for other people, for those people, for Sean in the book or John who's talking up here, but it's much more difficult to believe it's possible for us. In the Bible, I can imagine Joshua felt how difficult it was to believe it was possible to overcome these massive obstacles that stood in his place when he took leadership of the Israelites after Moses had died. See, Moses had brought the Israelites out of Egypt and all the way to the edge of the promised land. But then he died. And while Joshua, the number two, mourned his loss, he simultaneously needed to step up now in the place of Moses and lead the people into the promised land. And I can imagine, sure, he believed that, that Moses could do it, but now he had to believe that, that he had what it took. And the Jordan River stood in their way. God told Joshua, get ready. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. And then he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God told him what's true. God said, don't be afraid. But see, Joshua had to internalize those words and believe it himself. Can you imagine the doubt that Joshua felt when he stood on the edge of the Jordan River and watched as the water continued to flow even after obeying God, just hoping like, I hope I heard God right. I hope I have what it takes. Thankfully, the Jordan dried up and they eventually crossed, but little did Joshua know they'd still have to fight more than a dozen battles. And some scholars say he defeated as many as 31 kings to eventually settle in the promised land and achieve what God had promised long before. But with every setback, every potential defeat, and every enemy encounter, encounter, Joshua had to hold on to the promises of God and continue to believe that victory was possible. And so I gotta ask you, do you believe that victory is possible? Do you believe it's possible to defeat anxiety? Can I remind you today of the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. Don't shrug off these words. 
don't think, sure, that's maybe true for them, but not for me. No, no, take hold of them. These are promises for me and you with God. All things are possible, including overcoming that anxiety with God. It is possible. It starts by believing it. Second thing to do to attack anxiety is to rewire your mind. Paul writes in Romans 12 to do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, in the Greek, the word conform is a word that's used for something like a baking mold. So if we're not careful or intentional, our thoughts get baked, shaped, and molded by the patterns of this world. But Paul says, don't conform to that. Don't be molded by the world. Instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing, rewiring of your mind. If you're paying attention to kind of popular nonfiction these days, there's been a lot written about neuroplasticity lately. According to neuropsychologist Donald Hebb, in essence, neuroplasticity means that neurons that fire together wire together. In other words, the more we activate specific thoughts, these neural networks, the easier they become activated and the more permanent they become in the brain. For example, the more we think specific thoughts like, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, the more likely those same thought patterns become even more likely over time. But here's what's interesting. Through the study of neuroplasticity, science is now proving that our brains can renew and rewire itself. Someone uh, once described neuroplasticity like this that I thought was helpful. Imagine that your mind is in the middle of a dense forest, and all you want to do is get to the lake that's on the other side of this forest. And so you start making a path with your thoughts. You're thrashing, ripping down branches, cutting back shrubbery and foliage, and wearing down a path until you arrive. Your brain thinks, you've arrived at the lake. But now that you've arrived at that destination on that particular path, the next time you go that direction, it's going to be so much easier because your brain has already cleared a pathway. And because our brains crave efficiency, we're just going to keep heading in the same direction without even really thinking about it, without much work or effort. Now, what does that mean? It means many of us have remained anxious because our thought patterns are stuck. Our minds have been stuck going the same direction on the same neural pathway over a long period of time, but neuroplasticity says we can actually rewire and renew our neural pathways. We can create a new path. We actually don't have to go down that unhealthy path in our minds, even though it seems more easier and more efficient. Instead, we can intentionally choose to carve a better path. Now, will that be difficult? Yep. Is it going to require a lot of hard work? Of course. Remember, our brains would rather go the easier, more efficient route, but once we do that initial hard work, and then do it again, and then do it again, what happens? Well, what happens is that old, unhealthy pattern, like any pathway that isn't used, gets covered up, and now your brain finds this new, healthier pathway to be more efficient. Neuroplasticity has proven what Paul said 2,000 years ago to be absolutely true. We can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
practically, how do we do this? Well, I was seeing a Christian counselor about four years ago who taught me to think about my thoughts. In other words, it's another way of saying what Paul instructed to take every thought captive. So what did I do? Every single time I felt a pang of anxiety, I stopped, I thought, I held that thought, and then I asked, why do I feel anxious? See, I wasn't just thinking, I was now thinking about my thinking, I was holding that thought in place. And then as I wrote down that thought or thought about what I thought, I asked, should I feel anxious about this thought? Should I feel anxious about Emily not being home, about my kids getting some horrific illness even though they aren't showing signs? Uh, Should I feel anxious about the uncontrollable, the unlikely, or the unknown? And the answer every time, and unsurprisingly, was no. In light of what God says is true, I didn't need to be anxious. Instead, in those moments, I took the thought captive and then replaced it with a thought that was true according to God's word. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's true? God has a plan and a purpose for my life and for yours. Jesus says not to worry about tomorrow because today's got its own issues. He says that if God cares so much about the birds and the animals, then then why wouldn't he equally care about me? And this practice of thinking about my thoughts, taking them captive, replacing them with what's true, it started to create new neural pathways. And now after years of work, Naturally, my mind no longer takes me to the lake of anxiety. Now my mind takes me to the lake of God's peace. What's true? With God, you can rewire your mind away from anxiety and towards peace. This is one way to do it. It's not gonna be easy. It's gonna take some work, but I'm here to tell you it's possible. Third and final way to attack anxiety in our minds is to demolish strongholds. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, these weapons we use, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, a stronghold is a lie from the enemy that we live by. It's contrary to what God says is true. It's a lie we believe is true, but then it holds us back from living as free as God intended. Here's what I found with many people. Many people have, including myself, by the way, for a long time, we we put our faith in God. We've allowed God into our proverbial house in our lives, but, but then we've left a room or two untouched and not really given God access to those specific rooms. I mean, sure, he's he's living in the house, he's taken up residence, but we haven't allowed God access. To everywhere. By the way, this is true in all kinds of areas. Some of us have allowed God access into our lives, but, but not really with what we watch on our phones or what we watch on TV. Sure, we, we have faith in God. We've allowed him in, but not, not in the way we relate to the opposite sex or the way we talk with other people. And for whatever reason, with anxiety, some of us have let that room continue to look the way it does because in some twisted way, By the way, twisted by the enemy, I've taken up this identity as an anxious person. I'm comfortable with that room. 
It's been my identity for so long, I don't even really recognize it's a struggle anymore. I mean, I might make some tweaks or some changes, maybe fluff the pillows, but I'm not gonna demolish that room and let God rebuild it because what if he doesn't? Um, I've shared this before, but it's a bit of my life story and a significant reason for the victory I've achieved in this area. But several years ago, I was attending a Christian leadership conference where the speaker said, some people here have made a contract with anxiety. You tell people, I'm an anxious person. You, You signed up to be an anxious person for the rest of your life. In other words, he said, if I have a headache, do I go around telling people I'm a headache person or someone who occasionally has a headache? See, 21 years ago, unbeknownst to me, I signed a contract to be an anxious person, not just someone who struggled with anxiety on occasion. I found there was a big difference. The speaker continued and said, God wants you to break that contract with anxiety today. And so I prayed right there with a handful of others including asking my wife to pray over me. And I prayed in the name of Jesus, I break that contract with anxiety. I no longer agree to it. I did not sign up to be an anxious person for the rest of my life. Now, there haven't been many times in my life where I felt an immediate answer to prayer, but I did this time. And since that moment, although I I can't fully explain it other than God's supernatural power, I... I feel like a different person. By the way, I also give credit to the hundreds of hours of work that God had done in my life the previous two decades, but there was this final supernatural, contract-ripping, stronghold-demolishing Holy Spirit moment that I needed to defeat anxiety. Now today, do I occasionally feel a ping of panic or anxiety or what's happening in the world? Sure, but in a different way and very rarely. Like someone who struggles with addiction always need to stay on the offense and keep an eye on it, but today, I'm not an anxious person. Ask my wife, ask my closest friends. God has defeated anxiety in my life, and I say all that so humbly just for you to hear me say, he can help you defeat anxiety as well. Do you want to overcome anxiety? I know you do. You want this for yourself. You want this for people in your life. Start by giving God access to every room in your mind. Visually, take that contract and rip it up. Literally write one up and then rip it up. Come forward for prayer after the service is over in just a moment and allow our prayer team to demolish some of those strongholds. Paul writes, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Freedom from anxiety is possible. And some of you are gonna experience that freedom today. Right now, in this moment, I believe it. I've been praying for you, a team of people have been praying for you, and we declare it in Jesus' name. Some of you are, and some of you aren't. Others of you are just, you just need to begin the fight. You need to renew the fight, because maybe you've lost hope. You need to go back on offense. Focus on progress, not perfection. It may all not turn out right away the first time you snap your fingers and you know, pray to God, but, but just start to believe it's possible 
Maybe that's your step today. Maybe your step is to practically work on rewiring your mind, or maybe it's to come forward for prayer, and let's go after those strongholds and and demolish them. And then it's to show up next week and to hear other ways to go and attack anxiety, which includes practical things that God uses in this world. This conversation, as I mentioned, is multi-layered and complex. So this isn't an end-all, say-all. This is the beginning of picking up the fight again. None of this is gonna be easy. It may not be immediate, but it is possible to gain ground, to make progress, to fight and attack, and one day overcome that anxiety. And so our team has created a resource page for you. It's got book recommendations and counseling recommendations and other things to pursue to continue on in your journey against this enemy of anxiety. But let me be crystal clear. There is nothing like the power of God's word. And so maybe the step for you today is to hold on to these promises of God to memorize some of these scriptures, to read them every single day, to take a screenshot or you download them from our website so you put it on your phone and just be reminded that with God, all things are possible. So let's keep attacking anxiety. Let me pray for everyone here. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word grateful for your truth. We're grateful for your overarching theme in scripture that you are for freedom. And I recognize today there are people here who have been in this battle for a long time and they feel like that quote I read, they've tried it all. I mean, everything. And it feels like what else is there to do? I pray, Lord Jesus, that while I don't have an easy answer, I know there is nothing like the power of your Holy Spirit that in the name of Jesus, you can provide freedom. And so we pray boldly in faith for those people to experience that freedom and at the very minimum to experience a kernel of hope that it's possible to keep fighting, to keep working, to stay on that journey. I pray for people here that are thinking of someone who is struggling with anxiety and there are no easy answers and they've been searching, they've been trying God, I pray for courage and strength and supernatural energy to continue to fight this thing on behalf of another person that they love. And I pray for those who maybe aren't feeling anxious and they're a non-anxious presence in someone else's life. God, I know firsthand how meaningful and how powerful those relationships are. And so if I can pray over those people, just that they would have the right words, the insight, the empathy, to stand with someone who really needs their support, to say the right thing at the right time and ultimately point them to your word and your truth. But God, in faith, we pray that people would break those contracts. You would set people free. You would help us live at peace as much as we're able in this life, God. We trust you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you'd like prayer, our prayer team would love to pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for part two of this series.